is Arif Katra, and I'm the host of Voices Worth Listening To. This is a podcast dedicated to sharing stories about diversity, stories that I hope will make you think and reflect on how we experience each other's differences. My goal is to encourage change in our individual perspectives and in the ways in which we live and work together. Today's episode of Voices Worth Listening To asks an important question. Can organizations afford to be silent or even neutral on important geopolitical issues that cut at the heart of diversity, equity, and inclusion? Should organizations remain silent on issues such as Black voting rights in the U.S., the tragedy that is Israel and Palestine, or the 215 indigenous children found in a mass gravesite in British Columbia. Mass media is cautious in its coverage of these issues, sometimes unbiased, but often beholden to investor interests. Social media? Well, content creators can be found in every shape, size, age, and color. The messaging here is clear, concise, and often biased, but the bias is plentiful in every direction. And when you look at YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, together they have 7 billion active users. If you lead a for-profit, non-profit, or educational institution, you need to ask yourself, how many of those 7 billion people work for your organization, go to your school, donate to your cause, or buy your products and services. All of them? Is that too many? No, I'm pretty sure it's all of them. So it's clear. Most of your customers and your employees are anything but silent on these issues. So can you, as an organization, afford to remain neutral in the face of Black Lives Matter or the plight of Uyghur Muslims in China? When it comes to these issues, which are at the heart of diversity, equity, and inclusion, most organizations choose silence in hopes that not taking a side will be perceived by their key stakeholders as a signal of neutrality, and that this will help preserve their customer base, not cause ripples with funding partners, keep them out of the ire of the media, and hopefully not evoke any response from their employees. But the reality is, Organizations have a very powerful voice, and the fact that it is missing is not without consequence. Let's explore four major national and global issues that are at the heart of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and whether for-profit or non-profit organizations are willing to make their voices be heard. Issue number one. Think about the recent full-court press among U.S. states to introduce voting restrictions that make it much harder for the average American to vote. Almost 400 bills have been issued across 48 state legislatures. These restrictions apply to everyone. One side says it's about protecting the voting system. The other argues that these restrictions are designed to keep Black, Indigenous, people of color, away from the voting booth. Issue number two. 
Think about the remains of the 215 children, including some as young as three, that have been found in a mass grave on the grounds of a former residential school in British Columbia in Canada. Residential schools were founded on the assumption that assimilation and denying Indigenous people of their identity was the best way to manage diversity and foster inclusion. Issue number three. Think about 70 years of conflict and death that has occurred in Gaza. In the region, there seems to be a very clear belief that the only way Palestinians or Israelis can survive is without one another. Whether you see this issue as an illegal occupation via an open-air prison or an issue of Israeli sovereignty, people have been dying for almost three-quarters of a century. Issue number four. Think about the close to two million Muslims, called Uyghurs, who have been taken from their homes in western China, an area rich in oil and gas, and have been put into what China calls re-education camps. People who have escaped the camps have reported physical, mental, and sexual torture. Women have spoken of mass rape, sexual abuse, and mass sterilizations. China, however, argues that these re-education camps are about upskilling Uyghurs to speak Mandarin, appreciate Chinese culture, and learn vocational skills. All four of these are significant diversity, equity, and inclusion issues facing the world today. And if they matter to the citizens of the world, corporations can't bury their heads in the sand, right? And if they do, what are the reasons? So I spent a good chunk of my week looking up what corporations and even nonprofit organizations have to say about these issues. It was a real struggle to find their voice. But here are the voices I did find over and over again. Celebrity voices. Here is Mark Ruffalo on Israel and Palestine speaking on MSNBC. Listen, I, I for whatever reason, I have a, a love of justice. Um, it, it really means something to me. And um, anywhere there's injustice uh, in, in the world, I, I think as, as an artist, we have a responsibility to speak up about it. Um, my connection to Palest- Palestine came through Palestinians. And hearing their stories, and then watching, you know, this 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 um, asymmetrical warfare being being uh, acted upon them, and violence being acted upon them, and and who pays the price is the citizenry, and and there's no reason that an ally of America should be um, should not be held uh, to the same standards that we would any other nation in the world, especially an ally. Political voices. Here's the Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau. Children's shoes and moccasins, a teddy bear, flowers. Those are what surrounds the centennial flame, just steps away from this house, to honor the indigenous children who never returned home because of the residential school system. Those tiny shoes should not have to be there. 
because children should never have been taken away to those so-called schools, places where they were separated from their families and their communities, places where they faced terrible loneliness, places where they suffered unthinkable abuse. Social media voices, the most creative and often the ones who have the largest number of listeners. Hi guys, so I'm going to teach you guys how to get long lashes. So the first thing you need to do is grab your lash curler, curl your lashes, obviously. Then you're going to put them down and use your phone that you're using right now to search up what's happening in China, how they're getting concentration camps, throwing innocent Muslims in there, separating their families from each other, kidnapping them, murdering them, raping them, forcing them to eat pork, forcing them to drink, forcing them to convert different religions, if not, or else they're going to, of course, get murdered. People that go into these concentration camps don't come back alive. This is another holocaust, yet no one is talking about it. Please be aware. Please spread awareness. And yeah, so you can grab your lash curler again. And but I couldn't find corporate voices on these issues. However, when I looked at the issue of black voting rights, things changed. Business had an opinion, one that wasn't politically careful and CEOs were not afraid to speak out. Here's Ken Cheneau, former CEO of American Express, on Squawk Box. This is a call for action. What we have heard from corporations is general statements about their support for voting rights and against voter suppression. But now we're asking, put those words into action. And we're asking corporate America to publicly and directly oppose any discriminatory legislation and all measures designed to limit America's ability to vote. Why do we find organizations happy to speak about Black voting rights, but not Indigenous people, Palestinians, Israelis, or Uyghur Muslims? As a business school prof, I always told my students If you want to see what's really going on in any organization, follow the money, and you will see what is driving decision-making. So I followed the money, and here's what I found. Most companies' unwillingness to speak about these issues is partly explained by economics. U.S. corporations openly take a position on restrictive voting rights because Black Americans make up 15% of the overall population and up to 40% in some states. This represents $113 trillion in buying power. Muslims? Well, they only make up 1% of the U.S. population. Jews? 3%. You just can't afford to not be an ally to 15% of your customers. But it's different in Canada, right? Well, no. Indigenous people make up about 3% of the Canadian population and have about 33% less buying power than most Canadians. So you won't see many Canadian CEOs voicing their opinions about Indigenous issues. The economics just don't make sense. But maybe I'm being too cynical. Is anything else at play besides economics? Maybe part of the reason organizations don't speak out is that they are bound by their own systems. Let's think about the Richard Ivey School of Business, Canada's top business school. 
They operate highly lucrative executive education programs in Hong Kong, a place where the Chinese government has openly and severely cracked down on individual freedoms, with most of the targets being young people. Ivy has partnerships in China, a country that has imprisoned almost 2 million Muslims for the purpose of re-education. But Ivy and Western have remained silent on these issues. Why? Is it that their leadership doesn't care? While I can't speak to Ivy's current dean, I can tell you that leaders at Ivy have traditionally demonstrated a very high level of ethical reasoning. They're good people. But today, despite taking millions of dollars in fees from students from Hong Kong and many Muslim students, Ivy and Western don't take a position. Maybe they feel they can't. After all, their executive education, their case studies, and their MBA and HBA recruitment have important ties to China. What about for-profit companies? Let's examine the silence among both Canadian and U.S. companies when it comes to Israel and Palestine. I have worked with executives in Canada and the U.S. for most of my life. Executives and organizations are by and large deeply ethical. They care about societal challenges and how those challenges reflect on their organization and their people. I've seen organizations take the lead on issues related to race and gender. I've seen leaders of for-profit companies rally enormous amounts of resources to help people in crises around the world. So why don't they raise their voices when it comes to the Israel and Palestine issue? While both Canada and the U.S. have a free trade agreement with Israel, for Canada, that represents $1.6 billion in trade per year. For the U.S., it's 20 times more significant, representing almost $35 billion in annual trade. These organizations that sell to Israel, well, they have staff, and those people have families. They have shareholders, and they have relationships that depend on this trade. What if they speak out for both the Jewish and Muslim victims of this conflict? Will they experience retaliation? The truth is, most CEOs feel they can't speak out. They're stuck in the system. But before we feel too sorry for these organizations, these systems were not created by anyone else. They created them to ensure prosperity. They made the bed. Now they have to lie in it. They just think the best way to do that is quietly. So is this the equation? Silence on the part of organizations on DEI issues is a function of economics plus self-created systems. Is it that simple? I think there's one variable missing. Why? Because it's not as though there is complete silence on the part of organizations. The CEOs of Nike and H&M have spoken out about the treatment of Uyghur Muslims and the Chinese government. The result? The Chinese government has made it more difficult for them to operate. But they still spoke out. So what's the missing variable? Leaders are afraid to voice opinions on the part of their organizations, on DEI issues. Why? 
because they lack the tools to navigate the stickiness of the landscape. They don't know how to do it, and they're scared to do it wrong. A very senior executive said to me in a recent conversation, we don't want to take a stance and risk losing the trust of our employees or our customers. And she's not wrong. Trust is key to every organization's success, to its ability to serve its customers, its beneficiaries, and its employees. That is as true for the CEO of your bank as it is for the CEO of the Girl Scouts. You might say, fine, but why does it matter if I trust H&M, a fashion retailer? Well, even if I give you that for a moment, I think we could all agree that trust in some company brands, let's say Pfizer, is imperative. Trust is key. More than 50% of buyers identify trust as the reason they buy a product or service. It's the key reason why students accept admission offers from universities. But trust is not built through silence. Trust is active, and brands that are trusted live at the intersection of creating value for their customers, employees, and society. They are transparent and authentic. They speak. They don't remain silent. It's key to their brand value. You might be saying to yourself, hey, that feels a bit counterintuitive. Speaking out is still very risky, and most companies can't afford it. Let me help make your argument. H&M and Nike speak out, but they are huge brands. It's less risky for them, right? I mean, H&M has a brand value of $20 billion, and Nike, $35 billion. But before you get too comfortable in this argument, you know, that when your brand value is super high, you can speak out against injustice? Think about this. Think about the silence of Apple Google, and Amazon on most of the issues I have outlined. Their combined brand value? $800 billion. 16 times that of Nike and H&M. So I want to spend the rest of my time on one, sharing some ideas on how organizations can speak to sticky issues in a way that can foster trust, And two, speaking to what can happen to an organization that thinks silence or neutrality is a strategy when facing big diversity, equity, and inclusion challenges. The message I want to share with senior leaders and organizations is that if you want to have the tools to speak, you have to spend time and money developing a charter of diversity, equity, and inclusion. The work to develop this charter is as important as the charter itself, because it will give you the basis to take a stance, one that is supported by the majority of your stakeholders, because they help build that charter. How do you develop a charter of diversity, equity, and inclusion? It's a four-step process. Step one, leaders and key members of your organization have to work with an expert facilitator who understands the intersection of diversity and strategy to help you honestly identify the current state of the union within your organization as it pertains to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Think a kind of diversity audit. Step two, leaders then need to ask employees more broadly 
where they want the organization to be in five years as it pertains to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Step three, the organization needs to support a highly consultative process that engages leaders, key employees, major customer segments, shareholders, board members, strategic partners, and funders to develop a set of values that will ground the organization's DEI journey over the next five years. This set of values is the Charter of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. Step four, organizations need to test that charter by inviting key internal and external stakeholders to a simulation exercise where they, one, identify issues on which they have remained silent in the past, two, experiment with different statements that take a stance, three, simulate the repercussions of taking that stance, and four, discuss ways to make that stance so that it augments the trustworthiness of their brand. It's not easy, and it requires commitment from the top. So you might be thinking, you know, RF, it all sounds very risky. It's going to be a lot of work, and I'm not sure I want to open up this can of worms. I think silence and neutrality is my best option when it comes to big DEI issues. Well, you find yourself in good company with people like Justin Trudeau, Canada's Prime Minister. This year, Canada lost its bid for the UN Security Council. For Canada, it's a huge hit to our brand. With a population of 40 million people, Canada is a small country, and we depend on immigrants, highly qualified ones, that see Canada as a safe, diverse, and pluralistic country that has the respect of other countries, and that matters, because it's able to wield a great deal of soft power on the international stage. So why did Canada lose its seat on the Security Council? It all comes down to Justin Trudeau not having the ability to navigate the DEI issues I spoke about earlier. Canada and countries like us have a distinct role on the Security Council, and that is to hold other countries that are richer and more powerful than us to account. It seems a little unfair, but that's the job. If Canada wants to matter globally, the world expects us to not only live by Canadian values, but to voice our concerns when they're not in play. Values such as cooperation, the international rule of law, empathy for the most vulnerable, community being as important as individualism, and an equitable multiculturalism. These are fundamental Canadian values, but our Prime Minister prefers neutrality. He prefers silence. And the outcome? Canada is less relevant today on the international stage than it has ever been. Think silence is the best way to navigate DEI? Be careful. Because where silence and neutrality are one side of the coin, the other side is apathy. And to my friends in leadership, apathy does not augment trust. And when you find yourself there, you find yourself on the journey to irrelevance. And that is the kiss of death for countries, companies, and nonprofits. I hope you'll join me again in a few weeks by subscribing to the podcast. And I especially hope that today 
the time spent listening to this podcast made you feel that this was a voice worth listening to. If you would like more information about my work in diversity and strategy, please visit my website at www.strat-ology.com. That's S-T-R-A-T-O-L-O-G-Y dot com. The music in this podcast is from the Toronto Tabla Ensemble. To find out more, visit torontotabla.com. That's the word Toronto and the word tabla, T-A-B-L-A dot com. Thank you.